you did get your appetite wet for wetted for Christmas music this morning we will start singing Christmas carols next Sunday morning uh, next Sunday evening we will be having a Christmas music night give you a chance to pick out some carols that you'd like to sing and also uh, be some, hopefully some special music as well if uh, you've got a Christmas song that you like to sing you got the music for it uh, just let us know at the office or talk to uh, Linda Stevenson or Pastor Mark, and we'll be sure to get you on the schedule for next Sunday night. And then on Sunday, Saturday and Sunday, uh, December 10th and 11th, our choir will be presenting the uh, musical At Last Noel. That'll be Saturday night and Sunday night, 6 o'clock. Each of those evenings start now, inviting folks to uh, come out to that, some of the best Christmas music in town. Then our children's program will be the following Sunday evening. In John chapter 3, Jesus told a man by the name of Nicodemus that unless he was born again, he could never see the kingdom of God. One of the most remarkable things about the fact that Jesus tells Nicodemus this is the fact that Nicodemus was one of the most religious men that you could ever come across. He was a religious leader. In fact, Jesus called him the religious teacher, the teacher in Israel, an extremely religious man. And Jesus told this religious man that his religion was not enough to get him into heaven, that he needed to be born again. He needed to be regenerated. He needed to have a new nature. He needed to have a new heart. He needed to have a new mind. He needed to have a new life. He needed to have a life given to him by the Lord. He needed to be born again. Nicodemus is a flesh and blood example of the kind of man described in the last half of Romans chapter 2 from Romans one of the first things that we learn is that all men are without excuse before our righteous and sovereign God, and all men deserve to come under the judgment and the wrath of Almighty God. In Romans 2, the Apostle Paul anticipates two kinds of people that, that might stand up and say, well, I'm not guilty. I don't deserve that. I'm different. I don't deserve judgment from the hand of God. The first of these would be the, the moral man who trusts in his own righteousness, having an outward veneer of morality and respectability. And he can even point out sin in the lives of other people and, and condemn it in their lives. And it, and it troubles them even though he can't see it in his own. But he cannot stand up under the judgment of God, which according to what we saw in, in Romans chapter 2, the first 16 verses, God judgments according to truth. God's judgment is according to impartiality. It's according to light. It's according to the secrets of the heart. It's according to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is because instead of repenting in response to the kindness and forbearance and long-suffering of God, these moral people just kind of take it for granted and see it as an indication that they're okay with God. The second man who might protest being classified as a sinner 
deserving only condemnation from God would be the religious man. Pictured by the Jew in this passage of Scripture and exemplified by this man Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Being religious doesn't make anyone right with God or get them into heaven. Anyone doubting that, that there will be many religious people in hell, uh, should read the words of condemnation that Jesus had for those of, of his day uh, who trusted in their religion to make them right with God. In Matthew chapter 7, Christ anticipates those who would come to him and say, Lord, haven't we done this for you and that for you and, and all these sorts of things? And, and Jesus' response will be to them, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Religion gets nobody into heaven. I stand before you today as someone who would say to you, I am not a religious person. I don't want people to think of me as a religious person. I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. My goal as a pastor is not to make any of you religious people. My desire is that you would be sure to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior and trust in Him and Him alone. In the last verses of Romans chapter 2, we read here about three elements of religion in which people often place their trust that are most definitely not sufficient to save, uh, either individually or add them all up together, and they're not sufficient to make anybody right with God or get them into heaven. Uh, religious knowledge, religious ritual, or religious heritage. The first of these is described in, in verses 17 through, through 24, the idea of religious knowledge, where follow along as I read, where it says, Indeed, you are called a Jew, and rest on the law, and make your boast in God, and know his will, and approve the things that are excellent, being instructed out of the law, and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. You, therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say, do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. We find here that religious knowledge is not sufficient to make anybody right with God. And the first folks he zeroes in on here are, are the Jews, those who would call themselves Jews, Abraham's descendants, called by different names, Israelites, Hebrews. The term Jew comes from being uh, out of the tribe of Judah initially, the one of the uh, two remaining tribes in the southern kingdom, but eventually came to, to, to be described descriptive of the whole nation. It means, the term Jew means praised ones. And the Jews were considered the apple of God's eye, his chosen people, people through whom God <coughs> wanted to reach the other nations. Uh, they were proud of this name. But not all called Jews are truly Jews. 
We'll see a little bit more of that later on. We find that uh, we could also make application of this and say that there are some people who would call themselves Christians, maybe even a born-again Christian, and think that they, by applying that name, that title to themselves, that's going to get them into heaven. Just applying that title to yourself doesn't make you right with God. Not all who claim to be Christians really are. Not all who would say to Jesus, Lord, Lord, or say they do things for Jesus, really, truly have a relationship with Christ. Not even all who know about and, and claim to be born-again Christians are necessarily born again. Just to know the talk, to know the lingo, to know what to say and be able to put it out there doesn't make anybody right with God. Just to have the knowledge. And he goes on here and he describes the knowledge possessed knowledge of God's revealed truth, knowledge of the law. In the Old Testament, that would have been the law, the Pentateuch, the whole Old Testament, basically. If we make application today, we would say that uh, just people that just know the Bible, Bible knowledge, doesn't make anyone right with God to know what the Bible teaches, even know what the Bible calls for. We find that uh, the description given here of the Jews and the, the religious knowledge they have really is pretty detailed. Uh, you, you rest on the law. You, you make your boast in God. You know His will. You approve things that are excellent. You're, 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 you're instructed out of the law. You're, you're taught. You, you, you really do know a lot. You've got a lot of biblical religious knowledge. You have the law. You have access to it. You pay respect to it. You approve it. You consider the law as being excellent. Uh, you recognize it as the embodiment of truth and knowledge. You know about the true God. The Jews worshiped the true and living God. They knew his name as Yahweh. They knew him as the only one and only God. They knew who he was. They could be contrasted with the idol worshipers of Romans chapter 1. They could be contrasted with the the Romans and the Greeks who both worshipped their pantheon of God, they had God's temple in heaven. They knew a lot about God. By the way, Israel, after the Babylonian captivity, they never really had a problem with idolatry after that. That cured them of idolatry. But just the fact that they, they knew a lot about God didn't make them right with God. And, and just because somebody today knows a lot about the Bible or knows a lot about God, or a lot about Jesus for that matter. You can know a lot about Jesus and not be right with God. You can know a lot about Jesus and not have a relationship with Him. In fact, we see what, what knowledge did for these people, described in verses 19 to 22. What it did for them was it made them proud. They became proud of what they, what they knew and the knowledge that they had. We read in 1 Corinthians 8 and verse 1, it says, knowledge puffs up. You know, when we just have knowledge, and, and especially if we start comparing ourselves with other people who may not know as much as we do, it, it can puff us up, and, and we can become proud. And uh, that certainly is not something that ought, we want to be true in our lives. We find the picture here of the, of the Jew is one of, he, he becomes characterized by pride and, 
and arrogance and confidence in themselves, and they compare themselves with others, especially the pagan Gentiles, and they, they became proud. They, they saw themselves, as you see described in verses 19 to 20, as, as guides to the blind, as light to those in darkness, as instructors for foolish people, teachers for babes. That's the way that they, they saw themselves. Uh, that they knew so much more than everybody else. You know, they were the people that if, if the category of religion or God came up on jeopardy, man, they would, they would know the answers right off, and, and they would marvel at some of those brilliant contestants on jeopardy didn't know the right answers. You know, they, 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 they had the information. They had the knowledge, a lot of Bible knowledge, God knowledge, religious knowledge. But we find that instead of producing humility before God, instead of it bringing them to their knees before God and, and crying out to God for mercy and for grace, it made them self-righteous people, arrogant people. They, they, they knew the truth, but they disobeyed it. Uh, Paul says to them, you, you say, don't commit adultery. Don't, do you commit it? And the answer to that, he is assuming, is yes. Jesus went into detail on this back in the Sermon on the Mount where he talked more than, more, about more than just actions. He talked about the mind. He talked about motives. He talked about the spirit of the law. And somebody may not do things in carrying out the action, but they certainly got sin in their life and sin in their heart. And they covet and they lust and they, they envy and they, they murder people with their minds and, and things such as that. And that, that's the the picture that's given here. And the results of such a, a wrong response is laid out here in, in verse, verse 24. It says you dishonor, verse 23 and 24. First of all, you dishonor God through the breaking of the law. And, and secondly, here's the, the, another big thing, you give cause for the name of God to be blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. We find that David was guilty of that. Nathan accused him after his sin with Bathsheba. He says, you've given, because of you, the name of God, you've given cause for God to be mocked among the Gentiles. And, and we find that when somebody's got religious knowledge, they know a lot about things, and they, they kind of demonstrate an air of self-righteousness and an air of, of spiritual pride, that what kind of an impact does that have people on people around? Especially if they look at our life and they find out that what we know hasn't really transformed us. It really hasn't made us like Jesus Christ. We're not becoming more and more like Christ. We're just like the other neighbors around them. We're just like the other people down here on this earth. We can hate with the best of them. We, we can envy with everybody else. We can be as materialistic as anybody on the block and, and worship things instead of worshiping God. We don't love people. We, we, we love ourselves and become self. When, when a person claims to be religious, they, they claim to know God, and it's not backed up by Christ's likeness in the life, it says here, we give cause to the enemies of God to blaspheme. How about your testimony? You know, one of my things that bugs me is somebody that's got a 
honk if you love Jesus bumper sticker. And, and then they, they uh, demonstrate a whole lot of road rage in the way that they drive their car and the way that they behave in traffic and maybe the way they shout out the window and even some of the gestures they might use, things like that. And my thought is, man, if, if you're, if you're going to drive like that, if you're going to act like that, please take that bumper sticker off your car. No, don't be telling people you're a Christian. And then act that way. And sometimes you hear about things that, that folks have done, and, and they, they might be very vocal about, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a spiritual person. I'm a religious person. I love God. But then they live such a terrible, terrible life. Just keep your mouth shut. Don't say anything about the Lord. Don't say anything about God. Now, obviously, all of us are, are going to fall. We've still got a sin nature. And, and there are times we do stumble, times we do fall. And, but, but when that happens and you really know the Lord, when you recognize you've fallen, what do you do? You confess that sin. You repent of that sin. You let people know, hey, yeah, that's, <coughs> that's right. I did blow it. And I'm not planning to get into heaven because Christians are perfect, because I'm certainly not perfect. The only, my only hope for getting into heaven is because I have been forgiven. I desperately need the grace that God gives to me and the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm trusting in Him and Him alone. Just, just trusting in religious knowledge and what you know will never get you into glory. You may know the gospel. You may know an awful lot about Jesus, but until you truly repent of your sin, take Christ to be your Savior, that knowledge won't do you a bit of good. Knowledge needs to be acted upon. We need to, yes, we need to know we're sinners in need of a Savior, and then we need to act upon that. Just knowing those facts won't help you out. Secondly, religious ritual is never going to save anybody. Look at verse 25. Thus, for circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law, but if you're a breaker of the law, your circumcisions become uncircumcision, just like it never happened. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you who even with your written code and circumcision are a transgressor of the law? We find that some people trust in religious ritual. Here he talks about circumcision. The thing you hear a lot about in, in the church age is, is baptism or the sacraments or communion, participating in communion, or church membership, you know, being a member of this particular church or that particular church. Uh, is, is there really any importance in those things? Well, there was importance in circumcision. God instituted it back in Genesis 17. It was a, a sign of the covenant for Abraham and his descendants. It, it was important. In fact, Moses was going to have his life taken by the Lord because he had not circumcised one of his sons. It, it's an, it was an important thing. But just the ritual in and of itself wasn't enough. It was connected with something else. It needed to be connected with obedience. It needed to be connected with faith. In fact, we'll see later on in the, in the book of Romans that, that Abraham wasn't saved by circumcision. Isaac wasn't saved by circumcision. Abraham was saved by faith. We get over to chapter 4, and we'll see Abraham and David both are pictured as being saved by God's grace through 
faith. Ritual doesn't save anybody. Whether it's the Jewish rite of circumcision, that was a, a reminder that, that, that they were, had an obligation really to the law, they had an obligation to God. It was an indication that they were part of the covenant nation. It was also a reminder that the, the sin nature was passed on from, from one generation to the next. Uh, there, 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 there was some importance, but in and of itself wasn't enough. Baptism. Is baptism important? Baptism's important. One of the last things Jesus said before he went to heaven at, at the ascension was he said, hey, I want you to go out and I want you to make disciples of all nations, and then what? And I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Help them to declare publicly that they really are my disciple, and then keep teaching them everything that I've come to observe, everything I've commanded you. Baptism's important. You go over to the book of Acts, and what do you find out? You find out when people get saved, what do the apostles do? They, they baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Baptism's important. It, it, it was ordained by God. It is an ordinance. It's commanded by Jesus Christ. Will it save anybody? Absolutely not. God places importance there, but baptism is a step of obedience after a person has put their faith in Christ. And by the way, in the New Testament, it is consistently believer's baptism. It is always believe and then be baptized. Baptism won't save anybody, whether it's an infant or whether it's a full-grown person. It just doesn't, it won't happen. But man places importance on the rituals. And sometimes they get to the place where they, they trust in the rituals instead of trusting in the God that that can that and instituted those rituals. A man puts emphasis to the place of seeing them as more important than, than faith and godliness and a relationship with God. In fact, there's a, the, the Jewish commentary on the Old Testament, the Midrash, has, has a quote in that. It says, God swore to Abraham that no one who was circumcised would be sent to hell. Abraham sits before the gate of hell and never allows a circumcised Israelite to enter. Is that true? That's not true. Well, it was in that, that Jewish commentary on, on the law in the Midrash there. Well, that's one of the problems with commentaries. A commentaries can be a good help in studying the Bible, but you know the only inspired, inerrant, infallible book we have it's right here. Not, not the commentaries. And I thank God for commentaries. I thank God for Warren Wearsby and Matthew Henry and John MacArthur and, and men that have put out some good commentaries. But you know what? Any of those commentaries are comments of man on the Scriptures. And it's not man's comments on the Scriptures that are infallible. What's infallible? Only the Scriptures. And even though it says that in the Jewish commentary, it doesn't make it so. Nobody's going to get into heaven just by being circumcised. Nobody's going to get into heaven just because they have been baptized. Nobody's going to get into heaven because they're a member of a church. Nobody's going to get into heaven because they're a member of First Baptist Church of Carroll. Do you know that it's possible to be a member of this very church and go to hell? It's possible. Because it's not about church membership. Now, we try to inquire with and, and find out from people, do you really know the Lord is your Savior? 
Are you really trusting in Christ? And people give answers, and, and you trust their answer. But, you know, it's not the mouth. It's not what people say. It's not what people do physically. It's about the heart. It's about the heart. Is there really a genuine trust in Christ for salvation? It's not about any ritual. You can trust in any ritual, and it won't get you into heaven. Salvation is based on a genuine trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and His atonement. We find the third area where people want to trust wrongly in, in connection with religion is religious heritage. And he talks to the Jews here in this passage of Scripture, and they, he says in verse 28, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor, the circum, uh, nor is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh, but he's a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit and not in the letter whose praise is not from men, but from God. What he's saying here is it's not about just being a Jew, not just having a Jewish heritage that makes people right with God. The Jews thought because they were descendants of Abraham that somehow that would make them right with God. And the Jews had a wonderful heritage. They had father, Abraham was their father. They had the prophets. They had the word of God. They had the temple. What a history. But even that heritage didn't make a Jew right with God. This heritage became in and of itself an object of trust where, where Jews would say, you know, I'm, I'm accepted by God because I'm a descendant of Abraham. Uh, you know what Jesus told them? Well, you know what John the Baptist told them, first of all, Matthew 3? He says, don't you know that God can even raise up sons of Abraham from these rocks? You know, boasting being a child of Abraham, hey, God can do this. Uh, later on in John chapter 8, Jesus is talking to the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders, and they're, they're boasting about the fact that they're, they're sons of Abraham. They've never been slaves to anyone because Christ is telling them, hey, if you trust in me, I'll make you free. And he who trusts in the Son will be free indeed. And they said, hey, we're, we're sons of Abraham. We've never been slaves of anyone. Well, at that very time, you know who they were sending all their tribute and tax money to? The Roman, the Caesar, they were slaves of the Roman at that time. Of course, Christ is talking about being slaves to sin. And they're boasting about, we've got Abraham as our father. And that passage, you know what Jesus told them? He says, some of you are, are of your father, the devil. Not Abraham, your father. Just being born of a certain heritage doesn't make Abraham your father in the faith. You're of your father, the devil. So just, just a, a heritage for the Jews was insufficient to save. And Paul here is rebuking them, and that, that regards again here in these last verses in Romans chapter 2. You know, the same thing's true in a, concerning a Christian heritage. It's interesting, sometimes you talk to people, and, and they want to tell you what a wonderful Christian their grandmother was, or, or, or what a wonderful Christian their, wonderful Christians their parents were. And, you know, that's wonderful to have a Christian heritage. I thank God for Christian parents. I thank God for, for grandparents that trusted in Christ. But that won't save you. That won't make you right with God. It's a great position of privilege. It's also a position of responsibility for the light and the opportunities that are given to you when you've got that kind of a heritage. Sadly, sometimes it becomes the basis of confidence for some folks because of the, the heritage they think they have. 
You know what? God, somebody, I heard this statement years ago, and it, it rings true. God does not have any grandchildren. Think about that. God only has children. You have got to become a child of God for yourself. And it only happens one way. It doesn't happen by, by physical birth. It happens by putting our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to personally repent of our sin and surrender our heart and our will to Christ to save us. We think of God's focus on things. God's focus is on the inward, not outward. It's on our, what's true and real in our heart, not just on bodily ritual or bodily activity. God's emphasis is on the internal, the spirit, not just what, what's written. The Jews said, well, we don't, we don't steal, but coveting was basically the same thing. God's focus is on praise from him. That's what really counts. What's God say about us? What's God's evaluation? That's what really matters, not man. Sadly, the folks of religion, it's just the opposite of God's focus. It's on the outward, external. You can see people trying to impress people by the way that they dress, dress in religious fat. The Jews did that. They had the, they wore the tassels on their clothing in just the right places and whatnot, and Sometimes people do the same thing today. Focus is on external rituals. You can baptize somebody, and if they don't truly know Christ as their Savior, their baptism doesn't mean anything. In fact, it's a big, fat lie. Because when you baptize somebody, it's actually a public testimony that they really know Christ as Savior. They put their trust in Christ, and they become united with Him in His death, burial, and resurrection to walk in newness of life. And if you've never come into that relationship with Christ, where you've died with Him and where you're living your life for Him instead of for self, then you get baptized. It is nothing but a lie. Man's emphasis is just keep the letter of the law. Don't worry about the spirit of the law behind it. Man's emphasis, let's impress people. Let's show people how religious we are. Let's show others you know, what we're like. Well, I'm getting recognition from them. Well, I'll tell you what, when it comes down to it, only Jesus can save. We need to make sure that we come to him for salvation and also to be, be made holy as far as the way we live our lives. If you're a religious person here this morning, maybe you're trusted in the fact that you're a member of First Baptist Church to get you into heaven. Let me tell you, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. You're trusting in your religion because maybe you were born into a wonderful Christian home and your parents brought you to church. Maybe they've dedicated you. Maybe they had you what they would have called baptized as an infant. Man, don't count on that. See that you yourself are a sinner in need of a Savior. Humble yourself. You see, when the, the knowledge, the saving knowledge of God, the saving knowledge of Christ is a knowledge that humbles us. It helps us to see that we're, we're terribly in need of God's mercy, God's grace, God's forgiveness. And then recognize that that's only available through the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're characterized by religious pride this morning, get rid of it. Come to the Lord Jesus Christ humbly. Throw yourself upon his mercy, upon his grace, 
and, and focus on Christ, not on religion. It's all about Jesus, belonging to Him, having Him belong to us as our Savior, my Savior. That's what it's all about. You can be religious, but not right. You can be religious, but not regenerate. You can be religious, but not really a Christian. You can be a religious, but not really right with God. It all comes down to our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for a Savior. Lord, thank you for telling us enough about ourselves in Scripture to help us to see our, our tremendous need that we have. We are needy people. We are lost people. We are those that, that are dead in trespasses and sin, and we desperately need a Savior. Thank you for providing that Savior. And Lord, we, we know that we can't, be, we can't be saved, we can't be right with you just by knowing about Jesus. Even knowing all about the Christmas story, knowing all about the, the life he had here on earth, or about, even about his resurrection, but it all comes down to repenting of our sin, trusting in him and him alone as our own personal Savior. Lord, if there's anybody with us this morning that's never trusted Christ, maybe they're very religious, Lord, help them to see but above all else, they need a Savior. For each of us as Christians here this morning that, that knew, do know Christ, God, help us to renew our humility before you and, and our gratitude for the Savior that you have provided and saving us by grace. Thank you, Lord, for that. May we always be a grateful people for what you've done for us. We'll give you the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you take your hand?